have been talking lately, for those of you that maybe have uh, not been here or have forgotten, our overall kind of theme this year is, is community, and, and I've broken that down into th- sort of three categories, loving our community, which really is that dynamic of, of outreach and, uh, and taking care of our, our neighbors in the community. And then second is building, com- building this community, which really involves more fellowship relationship, and, and we'll focus uh, on our home groups and, and opportunities to, to gather together in a smaller setting. And then the third dynamic, which is the one I've been focused on the first few weeks, is learning to be community. Specifically, learning to relate to one another and learning to relate to one another in a healthy and biblical and, and what I would call a kingdom way. Um, I think most of us would acknowledge the fact that that's not always easy to do. Uh, it, it, it's not easy, but it's important. And, and obviously, uh, it's important scripturally. I think when you look through uh, the Old Testament, you, you see... Uh, how important relationships are, and then when you get into the New Testament, especially into Paul's letters, the you know the majority of his writing really focuses on how we relate, how we interact with one another. Growing up, uh, the pastor I had had a little saying he would uh, throw out there every now and then, and he would say, "I hope I grow up before I grow old," and that was kind of his way of acknowledging this dynamic. What he meant is, I want to learn to relate. I want to I want to learn to interact with people in a healthy manner. Uh, before uh, it's too late, so to speak. So uh, we're going to continue with that kind of thought pattern this morning. I want to focus specifically today on uh, loving those that might be uh, difficult. So my, uh, my title today is Tough to Love. You've heard of Tough Love before, so I took a little spin on that, and we'll talk about Tough to Love. Um, as kingdom people, here's the thing. We don't really have the option to only relate to those people that we like. Wouldn't that be nice, really, if we could just only relate to the people that we like? But we really don't get to do that. Uh, as kingdom people, we, we are uh, required, if you will, to, uh, to relate to uh, difficult people sometimes, sometimes to mean people. Uh, or let's just, can we call it as it is, sometimes to weird people, right? Sometimes we have to relate to weird people. Um, we, we have to relate... Uh, to our enemies. As kingdom people, we have a mandate, a biblical mandate, to love our enemies and pray for those that persecute us. Um, Let me tell you, love here is not abstract. It's not theoretical. It's concrete. If, If we are going to love our enemies, there is going to, it's going to require some interaction. We're going to be, have to exemplify to them that we actually do really love them. We, it can't just be a thought process in our head, oh, I, I do love my enemies, I do, I do. No, we, we have to, to really love them. And so um, I think that's, you know, so to speak, where the rubber meets the road. That's how we, when we see, where we see, if, how kingdomized am I really? How, how well am I uh, able to love those that are, that are challenging to me? Uh, how do we? Re- how do I react to a grumpy waitress? How do I react to to uh, you know a, 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 a not polite clerk at the checkout counter? Um, and 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 again, I would say this: that in one sense, those are the easy ones because they're you know here right now, gone in five minutes, right? But you know, I mean, how many of us have uh, difficult people in our own family? Don't answer that question. <laughs> 
I was waiting to see if anybody would raise their hand. Uh, yeah, no, we probably all do. Um, so I want to talk about how we relate as kingdom people to those challenging folks in our lives today. So let's pray and then uh, we'll, we'll get into this. Father, thanks again for uh, just our worship time this morning. It was so precious just to be in your presence and to know that when we gather, uh, you're always there with us and, and you remind us of uh, your mercy and your grace towards us. I love that line we sang today that uh, my sin was great, your love was greater, and that you've forgiven us and you've drawn us close. Help us this morning to uh, open our hearts to receive from your word and to grow in our understanding of what it means to be kingdom people and to love those that uh, we sometimes have a difficult time loving. Amen. So I've got, uh, this, this is your classic, this is not my, my normal routine, but I've got your classic three-point sermon today. So I've got three, uh, three principles that I, I think will be helpful for us in the process of learning to love those that are difficult to love. Uh, the first one is to get your life from Christ. Uh, there, there's an inherent need, whether we acknowledge it or know it or not, there is an inherent need in all of us for uh, identity, for value, uh, for worth, uh, for meaning. We need to know that we matter, that we make a difference, that I, who, who am I in this world and how do I fit and, and, and what does it mean to people that I'm here. And, and, and we have to find that, we have to get that, extract that from Jesus. Uh, he said, I have come that they, they meaning us, may have life and have it to the full. What does a full life look like? Well, here's the thing. A full life looks like Jesus. That's what it looks like. It comes from Him and it looks like Him. And, and what that means in context today is that we'll respond to people like Jesus does. And, and here's the thing that Jesus does uh, that's so challenging, I think, is He puts others above Himself. He puts them in a place of value and worth above who he is. And uh, let me say, if we don't get our life from him, we'll always be cranky. Okay? If you don't get your life, your identity from him, you'll, you'll always be empty, you'll always be searching, you'll always be hungry. You'll never be able to, to really fill that need, that void in your heart. Um, no matter... See, here's the thing. If we don't get it from Jesus, we try to get it somewhere. And, we, and a lot of times, and you see this in life sometimes, people will try really hard to get that from other people. Uh, and here's the thing. In any relationship, it doesn't matter how good, how kind, how wonderful the person, that other person in the relationship is, they can never do that for you. They can never give you that identity and that value and that worth. They, it's, just, it's beyond their ability to do that. They can give you a hug. You know what I mean? There's things we can get from one another. We, we, can, we, we really can. We can they, they can make you laugh. We can have connection and relationship. But we ultimately cannot get that, that inherent sense of value and meaning from other people. Only Jesus can really give us that. He's the only one that we can draw our identity from. Jesus said, we read a minute ago, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. So when he said that, the, the people that he originally said that to would have immediately thought of the Roman government. So here is this, the, the Jewish people were living underneath an oppressive government that had um, unfairly occupied their homeland and was now dictating, telling them what to do and how to live. So when Jesus said, 
you know, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, it was very clear that he meant to them the Roman Empire. And in that context, you realize that was not an easy thing to do. He was not asking them for a simple thing, to love them and pray for them. But here's the thing. In the kingdom of God, we don't get into relationships uh, to, to get life from them. We get into relationships to express the life of Christ to them. So, so the, the Jews at that point that Jesus was speaking to would have been those that could express the life of Christ into the hearts and lives of the Roman Empire. Uh, it's, it's a reversal, I think, of sometimes how we think of relationships. Um, so we ask the question, am I getting my life from Jesus? Am I getting my life from Him? I, does my, is my identity in Him, or is it in something else? Does my value, my worth come from who He says I am, or does it come from who uh, my 2,417 followers say I am? And it's a valid question. And then what does it look like for me then to begin to manifest, manifest the life of Jesus to other people, and, and specifically to this person that's maybe difficult for me to love right now that's in front of me? How, how can I express uh, the life I know in Christ to them? Here, here's the thing, and again, we don't have the option. This is a little bit broader context of that passage. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So there's a direct connection between really walking out that life in Christ and doing this. And then he says, because he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. God's blessing falls on all people. And, and we can choose whether we want to be part of that blessing towards them or not. That's what Jesus is saying here. Um, Paul puts it this way to the Philippian church. And, and this is... Pretty powerful. Uh, Chapter 2, he says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's saying what Jesus was saying in a little different way, but then he continues the next few verses to tell us what that mindset of Christ Jesus was. Jesus, who was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So, again, he's in a position of power, but he doesn't use that power to his own advantage. Instead, he lowers himself, taking the nature of a servant being made in human likeness. So Jesus lowered himself from that position of power, became like other people, found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, uh, even death on a cross. Um, Here's what happens. This is what I think happens when we we do that. When When we draw our life from Christ, and then we begin to treat people the way he does by valuing them above ourselves, I think we begin to see people differently. I really do. I think our frame of reference begins to change. Instead of, oh, here comes you know so-and-so that you don't want to see and you try to avoid them, um, you begin to see them as a person that Jesus loves, as a person that Jesus died for. And, and you, you really, once you see that differently, you, you really, then it becomes easier to treat them a little differently. 
If I see them as just a hard person to get along with, that, that, that's tough. If I see them as somebody that Jesus loves and died for, then that makes it easier. So first thing is uh, get your life from Christ. Second thing is examine yourself first. Uh, we talked about this in detail a few weeks ago. I did a whole sermon on uh, the, the, the speck in your friend's eye and the plank in your eye. So I won't go into uh, this a whole lot today, but it is an important part of this process. Okay, And what, and what I do want to say about this is, is that this is not a natural thing to do. And by that I mean this, it doesn't come naturally. Uh, to do that. Um, uh, human nature is to deflect blame and to uh, look at what's wrong with everybody else and assume that I'm right all the time. Right? Isn't it? Isn't that human nature? Uh, that's part of the, that's a byproduct of living in a fallen world. We have a fallen nature and so that's how we think. It's, that's the natural way we think. Here's the good news is that while that's not a natural thing, we can do that supernaturally. In the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can ask the Holy Spirit to begin to uh, help us see the, th- the plank in our own eye. What's blinding me? What's keeping me from relating in a different way? Is there anything I'm doing that I can change in my behavior to improve this relationship? Uh, so, so part of it is a, an invitation, uh, not only getting life in Christ, but an invitation then to the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts to help us see differently. I think this, though, I think this is also, to some degree, a worldview issue. And what I mean by that is uh, our Western mindset, our our Western worldview, is very individualistic. Uh, In in Western thinking, uh, we put the value of the individual above the value of the relationship all the time. Um, we, We stand up for my rights my rights. And even if my rights might tend to uh, impose upon somebody else, it doesn't matter as long as I get to stand for my rights. It's, it's me, 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 or, you know, I think the Beatles said, I, me, me, mine. Um, uh, but there is a, this individualistic sort of thinking that we have. And, and I, I'm going to take that a little bit further. Um, I, I think th- this is particularly uh, entrenched in the Pacific Northwest. I, I believe this, that we, we all know, we're aware, if you've traveled around the country at all, that there are uh, cultural sorts of dynamics that are different in different parts of the country, right? I, I think sometimes those are deeper than sociological. I think they have a spiritual dimension to them. You can call that a stronghold or whatever you want to call it, but I think there are spiritual dynamics over parts of the country, and I think the Pacific Northwest is highly individualistic. That people here is a tendency to be very, I think the pioneer spirit, the end of the Oregon Trail, that, that whole, you know, rise up and conquer sort of mentality is very powerful. I noticed it um, when I moved here. Uh, immediately. There was this real sense of individual kind of... And, and in one sense, you know, part of us in our culture today, we see that as good. But this sort of, I can do it by myself. I can get there. I'm a pioneer. I can, I'm a lumberjack. You know, and I noticed it right away because coming from Southern California, it's very different there. Southern California, it's sort of, you know, laid back, laissez-faire, hey, dude, whatever. You know, everybody do your own thing, and that's cool. Peace, brother. Uh, and then, and then it's, it's this very different kind of dynamic. 
than here, you know. But I went from Spicoli to whatever, whoever the mountain man is, you know. Um, yeah, there you go. If you don't know who Spicoli is, just look it up later. But a couple of you probably do. Um, but, but anyway, uh, it's a different, a different mindset, a different dynamic. And I just think that it's, it's part of our role as kingdom people to help penetrate that and, and, and show the world around us the value of relationship over and against individualism. Um, Again, is there anything in me? Do I ha- do, do, do I identify that in myself? Is there any part of me that is hindering this relationship that I can look at and adjust? Um, are my interactions in any way causing the block to to be greater rather than less? And again, I think it's so important to invite the Holy Spirit into that process. I love uh, one of my favorite prayers is in Ephesians chapter one when Paul prays. Uh, in, you know, for the Ephesian church, enlighten the eyes of their hearts that they might know you better. Enlighten the eye, and I, you can pray that for yourself. Enlighten the eyes of my heart that I might know you better. Allow, allow the eyes of my heart to see more clearly how uh, your life can fill me and how I can exemplify your life to the people around me. Um, sometimes it's helpful to change the dynamics of the relationship a little bit. And, and here's something. Um, you know, in, in, in Matthew 18, we're given sort of the biblical protocol for conflict resolution, right? You go to the person, and, and, and you, you appeal to them, and if, if they say, you're right, let's, let's fix this, then you win. If not, it says, what? Go get somebody else and bring them back. Here's, here's the thing. I think that we view that from that individualistic Western mindset sometimes, and we see that bringing another person along as backup, right? Is that not how we see it? Backup. They're going to support me. They're going to help me make my case. What if, what if that other person was actually an additional set of eyes to help us see the bigger picture and maybe bring perspective into the situation? I, I really think that's, that's a big part of what Jesus is trying to communicate there. It, it gives us a broader perspective. Maybe they'll see things that we don't see. Uh, so, again, just, you know, we want to get our life from Christ and then take a look at where we're at before we approach trying to uh, deal with other people. And then the, the third and last thing, or almost last thing, is uh, set healthy boundaries. Um, look, here's the deal. Um, so, some relationships are going to be difficult. That, that's just the way it is. Okay? Um, that, too, is a byproduct of living in a fallen world. Um, some things in this world are just broken. And they will remain broken. And some people are broken. Um, I said last week, wounded people wound people. And, 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 I, and I, I appeal to us to look behind sometimes someone's behavior. But the truth is this. Sometimes... Uh, when you get to know what's going on in a person's life, it's amazing to me that they're standing upright. You know what I mean? How, how are they able to even continue? Um, I'm expecting uh, them to relate to me in a, in a better way and be nicer to me, but when I, when I know what they've been through, I realize I'm amazed that they're even walking around. Uh, it's, it's, it's horrendous 
what people have had to endure in the course of life sometimes. And when I begin to see that, um, I realize maybe I can change how I view this person, how I view this relationship, and how I relate to them a little more. Um, in the process of that, let me say this. I, I, this is a, in my mind, this is a, the reality of kingdom theology. There, there really is a day when that won't be the case. There, there will be a day when all things will be restored and everything will be made right. And that includes every relationship. Every relationship will be exactly as God intended it to be. And, and I believe we have hope and we can pray and we can see individual relationships and individual people healed and made whole uh, in, in this life. But I, but I, I don't know that we'll ever see all, that all entirely happen in this world until Christ comes again. And so we live in that tension. We live in that tension of seeking God's goodness for this relationship and, and yet understanding that that may not be the case. So, so with that in mind... I think it's important that we learn to establish healthy boundaries uh, in, in our lives. And here's the thing. Again, kingdom thinking might be a little bit different than worldly thinking. In, the, in worldly thinking, the boundary is to protect me, right? But the boundaries are to protect me. In the, in, in, biblically, though, relationships are given a higher value than individuals. So if you think about boundaries in a kingdom way, the boundary would be to protect the relationship. And it would not only be to protect the, the primary relationship between two people, but it might be to protect the greater relationships that are affected by that relationship. So I'll give you some examples of that. One thing would be if, if I'm in a destructive or a toxic relationship with another person, how is that relationship affecting my family and those that are close to me? Is that... Is that causing me to relate in a, in a more challenging way to other people because of my reactions to what's happening over here? And I think we have to, to look at that and we have to evaluate that. Um, we might have to establish some boundaries on this relationship in order to, to protect these other relationships. How does this affect the whole? Another way I, I've seen this happen, and this is one that maybe we can identify with, some of us, is in the, in the context of a small group. So in our small groups here, we say that this is a place to know and be known. And, and we create the groups intentionally with opportunity for people to share and to open their hearts with one another. But probably some of us at different times have been in a group where one of a couple things happen. One is that somebody just dominates the group. They just share all the time, all the time, all the time. And so, so what happens is while we want them to share, we want them to have freedom, no one else is able to share because they're sharing all the time. Or sometimes they share too much too soon. And the group isn't prepared for uh, the level of unloading, offloading that, that, they've, that they've brought to the table. And so sometimes we have to, as a, as a leader or part of the group, go to that person and say, hey, look, we've got to establish some boundaries here because um, what's happened is the rest of the group is, is, is not able to relate in a healthy way because of, of what you're doing. Um, so, so setting healthy boundaries, we want to look at the big picture, not just protecting ourselves, but really how, how is the community affected and what, what, how are the relationships surrounding this whole issue affected by what's going on here and can we set boundaries accordingly? Sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes in the course of life, the Holy Spirit will direct us to expend a greater amount of time, energy, and resource on a person during a season of life. 
The Holy Spirit will just say, hey, right now I want you to give a little more than normal to this person. All right? That happened to me a few years ago. There, there was a, several years ago now, there was a, a young guy in our church, and he's going through a really hard time. Really hard time. And, 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 and frankly, he was a person that was a little bit difficult for me to relate to, but, but I just, the Holy Spirit really just put it on my heart. You gotta, you gotta really, you know, love this guy. And so he was going through a difficult time. He lost his job and then he lost his driver's license. And, uh, you know, so I was, I, I was his chauffeur for a few weeks. I drove him around. You know, so we're spending a lot of time together driving around, taking him to different appointments and places. And in the context, of course, we get to talk. And then also he doesn't have any money, so he's hungry in the middle of the day, so I buy him lunch. And we end up spending a lot of time together. And it was, it was impacting other things. But at that point for that season, I felt like this is something I'm supposed to do. And sometimes God will lead us into doing that. But we have to really, again, listen to the Spirit and follow his leading in those things and not just do those things. Sometimes we do that out of obligation or guilt, is my point. And that's, that's where boundaries are important. Um, all relationships have boundaries. Did you know that? All relationships have boundaries. We don't always realize it until somebody crosses one, right? There's, a, there's an implicit boundary that's there, but we don't, we've never said it. Uh, but then when they cross it, all of a sudden, it's, it's a little bit like if you've ever seen uh, the dog run to where the invisible fence is and they hit the fence line, you know, <clears throat> all of a sudden you cross that boundary. It's a little bit like that, whoa, that was a bit much, you know? TMI, uh, over, overload here, uh, you, you cross that boundary and you realize, oh, there is a boundary here. You know, anybody ever had this happen where you, you meet somebody and you get to know them a little bit and, and, and they're a nice person and you don't mind hanging out once in a while, but all of a sudden you realize you're their BFF? Anybody? That happens. That's, that gets weird really quick. It's like, oh, okay, this relationship is not where I thought it was. It's somewhere else. Here's, here's the thing. So relationships, biblically, are covenantal. And a covenant is not a contract. A contract is based in law. Uh, The foundation of a covenant is the relationship itself. But it is also clearly defined. And so there are boundaries, and it it is biblical to set boundaries and establish sort of some ground rules in relationship. And I think sometimes we have to do that. Uh, to, to maintain integrity in the life of the community and keep it safe for everyone. So, three things. Get your life from Christ. Examine yourself first and set healthy boundaries. One more little thing I want to touch on real quick. And um, I just think it's, it's important to answer the question. I don't know if anybody's asking or not, but I am. Uh, is, it, is it ever necessary as a kingdom person to establish the, the kind of ultimate boundary and end a relationship? Is, is that ever appropriate? And, and I think you'll get different opinions from different people on that. And some people will tell you, you know, in Christ, no, we always have to go that extra mile. We always do this, that it's never appropriate to end a relationship. So I'm going to acknowledge today that there may be different opinions on that, but my opinion is, yes, sometimes that's the case. But it's the case here. Um, only if you've done your homework, so to speak, if you've done what you can do to try to restore the relationship. So if you've done this, if, if, you, if, you, if you've examined your own heart, if you know that you're getting your life from Christ and you're reflecting Christ in the relationship, if you've established boundaries on the relationship, maybe you've brought other people in as perspective for perspective and help, um, but none of that has worked, then I think 
there are those times when it's appropriate as a kingdom person to end the relationship. Um, and, and, and here's why I think that. Sometimes relationships can be destructive. Uh, and, and in my mind, a destructive relationship is not a real relationship. Okay? If, if it's a covenant relationship, the basis of the covenant is the relationship itself, then it, it, it's not a real relationship if it's destructive. So I've heard people say, well, they're staying in this relationship for righteousness' sake. I'm staying for righteousness' sake. I'm going to endure this. And, and my thinking is, right, the word righteous means rightly related. It's a right relationship. If the relationship isn't right, I think you're staying in possibly for the wrong reason. Now let me say this. There's always sacrifice to be made. When we talk about putting others above ourselves and taking the mindset of Christ Jesus, there's always a sacrifice on our behalf to keep that relationship healthy, right? That's part of it. When I do um, premarital training with couples that are getting married, I tell them, here's what I think is a biblical covenant for marriage. There's really three principles God expects in your marriage. It's to be exclusive, permanent, and sacrificial. And then I go and I talk to them about each one of those things. Exclusive, it's just the two of you, nobody else. It's permanent. This is, this is, a, this is, this is a, for better or for worse, till death do us part. That's the, that's the deal. That's what you're saying. And, I, and then I tell them, now those are the easy ones. The third one, to, to, to be sacrificial, that's the tough one. Because what that means is you put this person before yourself. And, and you put their needs above your own. And you live that way. So... What I'm saying here is that there's always sacrifice to be made, and if you think there's not, then you probably need to reevaluate. But sometimes, even when we've made those sacrifices, uh, we, we, we're unable to restore a relationship to, to where it's a really a righteous relationship, and it may be appropriate then to end that relationship. So that's, that's my perspective on that. Um, I, I would say this. That when, when that happens, when we get to that place... That should never be done in anger. And it should never be done with that sort of I win mindset. That victory, like, I, yeah, I showed him. You're dead to me. You know, that kind of mindset. I don't think it should ever be done that way. I, I, I think when that happens, it should be done in brokenness. It, it, it should be done with an uh, acknowledgement in our heart that what's happened here is not God's purpose or will, but sometimes. It's, it's, what, it's what happens. There's a brokenness in the world, and there's a brokenness that I can't restore right now, and, and we, we just need to let that go. Uh, it should break our hearts when those things happen. It should break our hearts when that happens in the community and in other people as well. So um, dealing with uh, tough people, it's tough, tough to love. Uh, why don't we stand?